0: Christmas edition of the Weekden update. I'm Will Walker, your host, and I'm joined every week by John Kraft, John. What's going on?
1: Okay, I hope this is going to be cathartic for me to uh talk about last night's game, hopefully. So, we're
0: going to process through it together. <laughs> There's a lot to talk about. It was a, a game with a playoff feel, and we are going to try to determine what mattered, what didn't from last night and hope you Uh, We'll process through this with us. Uh, uh, It's going to be it's going to be a wild ride. We have a lot to talk about today, including two other games that also happened this past week, along with four that are coming up this coming week. But my guess is that we'll spend the majority of our time talking about the Warriors game last night. Uh, And so, what we're going to do is we'll start with our records. We'll get to some news, and then we'll dive into the Golden State game. So, our record is twenty and twelve. We're tied for second in the conference. We're tied for fifth in the NBA. Our offensive rating is at 113.4, which is 11th in the league. Defensive rating is at 109.2, up to 4th in the NBA. Net rating at 4.2, which is 5th in the league, same as last time we spoke. And then point differential uh, per cleaning the glass is at a 5.6. That's good for 2nd in the NBA, which we are are still only behind the Celtics in that respect. And speaking of the Celtics, John, you want to jump into our news?
1: The first news item... uh, You know, it seems like forever ago now, but it was still this week. It was December 21st. A clip um, from John Morant's interview with Malika Andrews was kind of teased and released, um, you know, online, uh, you know, on Instagram and on Twitter and asking John Morant if there was any kind of teams that he feared, uh, you know, or or thought about, um, you know, and he mentioned the Celtics, uh, which was your reference there. And and then Malika kind of came back and said, well, but what about the West? Is there anybody in the West? And Ja just said, I'm fine in the West. Uh, and that's, that was his statement. And, um, and what did you think about that? I think it's going to have some <laughs> reverberations for what happened yesterday. But uh, what do you think about that, Will?
0: I think the Grizzlies toe the line always between yeah. confidence and pride. And their pride in in the bad sense of the word. I think the the way in which it was it was processed league wide w- was really mixed. I mean, I think there there were probably a lot of Western Conference teams that took that as this guy has not won anything. He is already talking as if he's made it out of the West, where the Grizzlies have never in their league history in their team history made it out of the West, and also. I think that Ja, along with the other news that came out this past week, had, had a lot of press. I tend to think that he himself backed up those words. The team didn't quite meet him where where he was in those in that respect. But as far as the clip goes, I I listened to the full interview, which was not very long. It wasn't much more than that. And it was just a guy who has confidence. And I think when you put a microphone in front of him and ask questions like that, you're going to get his his raw answers. And honestly, the Grizzlies so far this season have played up to a level of coming out of the West. The problem is he's talking before it actually has happened. And so I think I tend to, I tend to worry about some of that stuff, not in in terms of it actually affecting play on the floor. I think that when play starts, those things go out the window, and it's who has the better team, who has the better performances. But I worry that it's going to take up too much of the oxygen of, of what's going on with this team because there are so many other positive things to talk about. And when you put the cart before the horse, sometimes it leads to distractions down the line. So do I think that we can fully back it up? Absolutely. But we still have to do it, even when you say it, or else you're going to get clowned. And I think that's, that's the worry.
1: Yeah, so I think, I mean, that's definitely, you know, he, uh, they are, the Grizzlies are definitely making sure, and I think we'll talk about this when we get to the game, that they're not the kind of, you know, exciting young team underdogs, no one talks about us. Uh, that was the card they played last year, and they can't play that card anymore. And, and I think what they're finding, and like I said, we're going to talk about this in a minute, is that uh, teams want to come and bring their best when they play against them. And that our response has been one of two things so far this season, which is one uh, to kind of play to our level of competition and get in some games that we shouldn't be in um, or is to kind of punch teams in the mouth in the first quarter. And then, uh, and then we end up usually kind of having good professional wins or blowouts, but we're definitely not coming and surprising teams anymore for sure. And, uh, And, and I think, Jaw's definitely guaranteed that with these comments, and you know I I, I agree with him though. Obviously, um, you know I think the West is down from where it was last year, and I think the Grizzlies were great last year in the West, and I think that you know for Jaw he thinks they would have been in the NBA Finals except for the fact that he got injured. So you know that's that's where he is. I don't mind it. I mean I think it's good for the media. I like I like players talking. I think that you know our game on Christmas was by far. It wasn't the closest game. I think the Nuggets game was a fun game too, but it was by far the most intense, most contentious, and I, I would expect most watched game uh, of the day. And I think that's a lot because of what's going on around the around the game. So I like I like that you know they bring this. So yeah,
0: uh, Desmond Baines, This next news item on December twenty second, he was upgraded to questionable, and then he was ultimately activated for the game against the Phoenix Suns in Phoenix, which was. Ahead of schedule. Uh, it's notable that almost all injuries so far, notably John Moran and Desmond Baines, have both been ahead of schedule. And that it, he played okay uh, in the Suns game. He definitely had a slower start, but ultimately came through with 17 points and was basically returning to form, I thought, by the second half. Granted, the game was pretty well in hand by that point, and he had a little bit more freedom. And defensively, they didn't really have anybody to, to put on Bain. And so it was, you know, it wasn't the same performance against the Warriors the next game, which we'll uh, discuss further soon. But it was great to have Bane back the first game that our full starting unit played together, and it was in, in a Suns game in which we we truly blew them out. It, it, it wasn't yeah. even close after the first quarter. So it was great to see him come back, and I'm especially glad... That he'll have a few games to work through some kinks before this all-important Pelicans game coming up on December 31st, which is the one that we had circled last week on the podcast.:
1: Yeah, so I'm, I'm excited about Bain. I think that uh, as we've seen, and I think you know he started the year, the first two, three games kind of struggling with his shot. and, and I think that Bain is somebody who, who is someone who takes a few games to kind of get comfortable. Um, and get to his spots uh, with his shooting, and I think the good thing, at least, especially in the Suns' game, we saw that he was taking the ball to the basket. Kind of his playmaking was still kind of there. He looked still kind of a step slow on passes and some and some other things, just getting used to NBA speed again. Uh, but it's it's great to have him back, and uh, I can't wait to to uh, start watching him make threes.
0: Yeah, uh, no doubt.
1: And then the final news item of the week. Was and this is probably the most exciting one that I, that hopefully we'll talk about uh, more past uh, just this podcast, but uh, but on Christmas Day uh, at the beginning uh, of the day, you know, you're looking on Twitter, Instagram, you start to get um, uh, some news come out that John ja Morant was going to unveil his signature Jaw One Nike shoe uh, on Christmas Day against the Warriors. And that the shoes were set to be released this year, April 2023, which is cool because I think we had thought it wasn't going to be maybe till the summer or that maybe the announcement wasn't going to even come until the playoffs or maybe even the All-Star game at the earliest. So it's really exciting that not only were they announced, but Jaw wore them on Christmas Day. And so with that, I was, I'd ask you again, never ask me about fashion, but uh, but what were your thoughts, Will, uh, about the shoe and about the announcement?
0: So I fully expected these to be a low-cut shoe, which I personally, that's my preference for, for a basketball shoe. And I think that uh, Ja also has worn low cuts for most of his career thus far. A few things, I thought the color, color that was released was really, really cool. A couple notable items about the shoe, that the Nike swoosh going all the way around the back was a really unique look that I liked. And then also just a few kind of, 12 a.m. was printed on the back of the shoe too, which referenced him working in the dark. I think the logo looks a lot like Kobe's, just like the shoes. And I love the Kobe logo. I think it's one of the coolest out there. And so I, I don't have a problem. I know a lot of people were discussing the, the logo, especially online going back and forth, how, you know, how close it was to Kobe, but I love the logo. I love how simple it is and how easily you can put it on a lot of things. Um, as far as the different color w- colorways that uh, he wore, the the purple on the night of Christmas Day, and I'm I'm hoping that he comes out with one that's white with a nice baby blue Nike swoosh, maybe a few different yellow and gold elements in there. Because I mean, I'm gonna be I'm gonna be one of the very first pre-orders. Uh, you know, it's gonna be it's it's just huge for what it means, uh, not only for a job, but to have somebody in Memphis on the Grizzlies that is going to be probably the premier shoe moving forward for Nike, and this is just the jaw one you know who knows every yeah. year we could see more and more releases and and I think Ja is the perfect athlete uh for for Nike, and I think they're gonna sell a lot of sneakers,
1: yeah, so I think the 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 big things for me and I won't talk, touch on the fashion they look good to me I think you know they, they they it will sell very well i think I think it's something that will appeal. To adults, but also really will appeal to kids and teens, which is I think is where you really get uh, a lot of the sales, and I'm excited about that. But obviously, for the Grizzlies to have a superstar, to have a Nike signature athlete, when there has not been, you know, 2023, I think uh, somewhere in there, uh, signature athletes. So for for the Grizzlies to have someone who is a Grizzly and and people see him as a Grizzly uh to have him be a signature shoe athlete is great and then i think uh not just that but uh but another thing that super excites me and just i just find very interesting is is that is that when they um kind of release them they they emphasize the fact that jaw is the first gen z signature athlete and i just find that very uh very interesting um that that jaw is going to be you know that Jaw's is kind of the first of this gen- generation the young generation uh, to get sort of a nike signature shoe and i also think that works well as we think about uh, a team of millennials <laughs> that we played uh, yesterday and how we're uh, the grizzlies are kind of looking to be that uh, up-and-coming gen z team um, kind of going against some of these older millennial players
0: another thing about the shoe it's set to retail at 110 and I think that's really important because it's going to open up these shoes to a larger clientele than a lot of other athlete shoes who tend to be in like the high hundreds usually and so I think that's really cool and I'm excited to see what his team does moving forward in terms of the marketing because the groundwork has now officially been laid and Ja has been anointed and so we will continue to see him step up in in a lot of uh, business settings now Uh, and it'll be really cool to see where he puts his focus in in that perspective because I think the basketball now is at a point where it's it's reliable it's going to be there and now he's thinking bigger picture yeah
1: and of course obviously I'm I'm expecting there to be some sort of uh, uh, some commercials and a marketing campaign to come out with the shoe and I'm excited to see what that's going to be about as well no doubt. And especially dropping during the
0: playoffs. I think that's also notable playoffs yep. starting mid-April. So hopefully it'll be they'll be available before then. You'll see a lot of those at FedEx for them. Yep. Um, OK, well, let's get into the Christmas Day game. Speaking of a Where team that they're start? not
1: sure will make the playoffs, they are sure we're going to make the playoffs.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's a good note off the top. Uh, OK, let's start. Let's start with the the big picture focus of the game before we dive in. We were discussing pre-podcast how the way you and I digest games is is one, is one a way in which I think for me, and I'll just speak for me and then you can speak for you, I am live watching the game going through all of the up and downs of living and dying by every make and miss. I am not as good in the game. At looking big picture, I will say that for myself, I'm I'm definitely more taking things in isolation. And um, however, and I have to vocalize to myself saying, okay, just wait. It's first quarter, Grizzlies. They're going to make a run here. It's going to be even. Um, and I think it, our text thread really helps with that because getting thoughts down in a text is. It's just a really not only a good time capsule for for how the game is going, and we can go back and read through those to see uh, emotions, but also it allows it allows a self reassurance. However, once a game ends, especially in the regular season, I automatically start to look ahead, and I also try to put into context what that game meant. And I think on a on a big win streak, it's really easy uh to to do and on a losing streak it's it's sometimes harder because you're looking for the the issues can sometimes get blown out of proportion in, in simple losses. And and I looked back at this one. I hated that it was on Christmas Day because I knew it was going to get a lot more attention. Now, to be fair, it did feel like a playoff game. I think Grizzlies Warriors is officially a rivalry. If it wasn't already after this playoff series, we can see that it is a rivalry has to have two sides that care about the other, and I think when you see any Clay Thompson interview, when it comes to the Grizzlies, he has words to say that indicate a rivalry. Uh, I think that you know Draymond and Ja, their 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 chatter has been documented too. Um, but at the end of the day, what I had to look at is this is one game; it's one regular season game. Will it have long term impacts? Maybe. I think the way in which we game plan for a team like Golden State is important. I think the way in which there are narratives around specifically regular season awards will be shaped by national TV games like this one. And I think also in high leverage situations, we've see we see how role players respond. Now, Kraft, tell me how you had digested this game in particular, but overall, what your typical basketball watching is like, especially in a game uh, like a national TV game where your your team is in it and you're having to kind of sort out what's real, what's not.
1: Yeah, so I mean, one thing, you know, it's not just uh, that it's a national TV game. It was our first Christmas game. It was the game that Jaw is wearing his signature shoes. There was a lot of excitement around the game. Uh, and, and also, I don't know if, for many of y'all that are listening, you possibly were watching the game with family members who are either casual or non-fans. And if you're somebody who's been talking up the Grizzlies to a lot of non-fans and casuals, uh, that and that was their first game of the year, uh, that was very rough. Um, you know, and, and to say I, I'm very similar, I mean, I think I am... Uh, I, I think I use my, like, kind of logic, big picture thinking to, like, you know, deal with – this isn't counseling hour, but to deal with the sadness of the moment. And, you know, and so I'm laughing because as I was, like, on the text thread probably being silver lining and trying to reassure you all about some things, my wife's, like, texting me in the middle of our family room, like, are you going to be okay? Do you know? Like, do I need to drive? I got the same text. Do I need to drive home because we were at my parents' house? So, so it was. It's funny how uh, how these things work. But I do think that at the end of the day, uh, we had a one in three road trip. That uh, that you know that that loss is probably has less consequence to us than the Denver loss that we sir that we had earlier this week that we'll briefly touch on uh, here in a little bit. Uh, And that it was one game, you know, does uh, nationally for podcasts, for narratives uh, on Twitter last night. It was brutal. Um, And I'm enough of a masochist to actually go on there and all the warrior fans that I interact with or that I follow to actually see what they're saying. And like because part of it is, you know, I want to take it in because, you know, personally, I think it's that much more fun when we beat them. And the, the fact of the matter is we play them in San Francisco in less than a month again. And we play them two more times at home later uh, in the season. And so I think, you know, at the end of the day, we're going to have four games with the Warriors, and this was just one game. But it was the Christmas game. It was on ABC. And because of that, it feels bigger. And, and like you said, uh, it, fe- it has a playoff feel to it. In that you felt like I think at least from the Warriors' side, they were playing about as hard as as they can play, and and I think some of that comes from where they are, um, and I can maybe go ahead and get into this now. But I mean they're in a desperate situation, and it kind of makes me mad thinking back because I think we we came in very confident because we watched them the Nets absolutely destroy them on the road, uh, but the fact of the matter is the Warriors are now fourteen and two at home, uh, they are very good at home. They have this 7-8 game homestand coming up. They have to win. They, they have to be above 500 in this homestand, or they might start thinking about uh, selling some pieces off and getting in the victor win by Yamo. Uh, I didn't even pronounce his name right, but in those sweepstakes because they're in trouble. Like They're not in the playoffs today. They're still out of the playoffs. They're the 11th seed, and so they really needed this game. And and so in that sense, I think, uh, you know, not just big picture, but even the context of us being it being a road game, then being back at home for the first time in two weeks, having that crowd. I mean, honestly, it reminded me a little bit of when uh, the Golden State came to Memphis for game five and we'd lost jaw and it felt like, uh, you know, we ended up blowing out the Warriors and it felt like the, the, the crowd there when I walked in the building. I kept saying like this feels different and it just felt like the crowd was there to say we're going to try to make up for Jaws absence against the Warriors and I felt a little bit like that um last night going the opposite way you know and so I do think that I'm still stinging from the loss I'm, I I wish we were playing the Suns in an hour <laughs> so I could move on but uh but all that said you know um there's a lot of things going on in this game but it is just one game in a long season. And like I said, I think the Denver loss has way more ramifications for tiebreakers and things than the Warriors' loss does.
0: Let's get into uh, a segment that was made popular by uh, Scott Van Pelt and Ryan Rossillo It's called Blame Pie. Um, and I listed just all the things that I felt as if maybe contributed to, to the loss. And I'd I'd be interested to hear your thoughts on how much weight you put to each. And so let's start from the top. Uh, shooting variance. So in the first quarter alone, Golden State hit six of 11 threes. Overall for the game, outscoring the Grizzlies by 27 from three. Um, for the game, we shot 23% from beyond the arc. They shot 41 percent they shot 47 percent on twos we shot 41 percent on twos uh jordan Poole, who basically has to just completely go nuclear nuclear these days for them for the warriors to have a chance to win he had 32 would have had more if not for getting his second technical and then clay thompson uh was he was only three of 12 for three but still had 24 points and i think that we can't we can't we can't separate this game from from the shooting variants because they were, I mean, talk. you can you can point to a lot of other things, which we will in a few minutes, but to me, if they're going to hit that many shots, it's going to be really hard for anyone to beat them. And if we're going to miss this many shots, it's going to be really hard for us to beat anyone, no matter who they are. So I think it was the perfect storm in terms of shot variants. Uh, what do you think?
1: I I completely agree. I would say that um, if you look and see uh, what the win loss record of teams that shoot eighteen threes, uh, I would <laughs> that you're going to have very very few teams ever lose in the NBA. No matter how, the thirtieth team, the best team that makes eighteen threes when the other team only makes nine threes, like that. Uh, and and so what I would say is I think that there are some corrections. I do think that. Uh, the one thing that I will say, so it's not just you chalk it up to shot variance completely. I know people get mad at me all the time because I'm always like shot variance and think it's a big excuse, uh, but I do think it happens. And I think that's why it's playoffs are seven games. The I will say that I think that especially early, um, Bane and Dylan, I were not ready defensively. It felt like, and obviously they went at Jaw a lot too. But our our wings were not ready for that screen that. The the way the Warriors play, they play a very unique style, and we gave them a lot of wide-open shots. Now, I think we left some guys, some of their role players, like a Ty Jerome, open on purpose, um, and they just happened to hit the shots. Like Lamb and Jerome, they hit they hit open shots on us. And so I think there's a little bit of show variance. I think on our side, the big issue for me is – uh, I would say of the seven threes Bain took, one of them was maybe forced. The other six were open shots that he at least hits, his normal 40 to 45% of the time. Conchar took a couple threes that I think he normally hits that just rimmed out. So I think we did have a kind of bad luck shooting for the quality of shots we got. And so in that sense, I think we need to get better defensively from the three next time we play them, not give them quite as many, especially pool open looks. But then secondly, like I just think normally we hit some of these wide open threes that we had. and We just missed them.
0: Yeah, and I think too what happens with shot variance and everything is related in a game. So it's not as if you can just pull out one thing and say this is the only reason why. I think that without the hot shooting we would have played a little bit differently, maybe uh, taken more advantage in the paint than than taking a few threes outside. I think when you're playing catch up, your default is to is to get out of the the offense and and start to lose trust in in the team element and and go more for Uh, you know, for instance, I think that Ja was brilliant in this game. He had 36 points. I think also he took 29 shots, and he needed to at some level, but our offense is not designed for one player, even at the level of Ja Morant, to take 29 shots. And so you just get forced to do things that aren't necessarily in your rhythm. And so that is related to shot variance. And I think – go ahead
1: and I think Jaw settled I think Jaw settled a few times I think there is a when you have that kind of there's they're hitting shots there's this kind of I want to hit try to hit a three to get back quickly when actually because of the pace that the Warriors play um, you can come back on them and as we saw we came back a couple times uh, on them that uh, and I think there was a little bit of settling for jaw I think he took some shots that he didn't necessarily need to um, very early in the in the in the shot clock, but we may talk about that a little bit more later, but I, but I agree. I think we took like that if we're not hitting, uh, and it's hard because then teams give you that more, but there's a sense in which we're such a good paint team that we need to hit the paint, especially in a, you know, and I I think in a third quarter, we sold for a lot of threes when we were in the bonus very early and, And I know that, you know, and I'm sure I have a feeling the refs are coming up <laughs> in one of your in, as one of your categories. But I'll say yep. that um, that uh, I just think we got to keep attacking. We got to learn to not settle so much for threes, especially when we're not hitting them. And uh, or at least I want to see jaw take less threes and throw it out and let guys, you know, miss more threes, you know, because he gets he gets some wide open threes. And I think and I think eventually our guys will hit them. The NBA season
0: is heating up and there are still so many unknowns. When I'm looking to get in on the action, I bet with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. New customers can bet just $5 pre-game money line on any NBA team to win their game and get $150 in free bets if they do. Check this out. Right now, everyone can earn up to a 100% boost with DraftKings stepped-up same-game parlays. Go to the DraftKings Sportsbook app, Place the same-game parlay and combine multiple bets like which team will win, total rebounds, and more. The more legs you add, the bigger the boost, the bigger your shot to win big. Download the app now. Sign up with code TBPN. Place a $5 pregame Moneyline bet on any NBA team to win their game and get $150 in free bets if they do. That's code TBPN, only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply see show notes for details. Yeah, uh 3 point defense just wanted to note it because I think that does play a big factor in uh it's not just it's not just variance uh, on on all things being equal it is the we have our, our, we are in the bottom 3 I'll just read the stat. We're in the bottom 3 in 3 point percentage when we're on the road. We allow 39.4% from 3 again 27th in the league. And so we're seeing that, that to me, indicates a system-level issue. I don't think that we are necessarily lacking in terms of personnel except for Ja. I think Bain is good enough to play at least average defense. I think Brooks is obviously elite. And uh, when you have Adams in there protecting the paint, Jaron roving, it really comes down to, I feel like, do we are who are we what are we prioritizing on the defensive end and obviously our record is what it is like more often than not it's going to work but i think it is worth noting that we defend the three well at home but on the road we we haven't at all so far and i think it's just it's noteworthy it's not no. just it's not just random i think there's something with the system going on that needs to be addressed
1: yeah, and no, I know. I, I agree with that. I mean, that, And that actually, probably we'll get super into that, probably into the weeds on that come playoffs, because I do think that is a that's a, Jenkins is out of the Coach Bud school. This is what Coach Bud does, too. It's protect the paint, sometimes give up, give up three, you know, contest threes. But we're going to give we're going to allow for regular season losses uh, when teams shoot really well from three. And that's kind of the system I think that we do. And I think what's happening is when teams are at home, they tend to shoot better than when they're on the road. And, you know, and, and that that is something to worry about in the playoffs, um, I guess, unless we have home court advantage the whole time, uh, that's that we can't necessarily always play that way. Um, but in the regular season, I think that does help. Uh, it is a good system to have. But it, it does actually, you know, obviously, when you run into teams like even the Thunder, uh, which is a, a very inferior team to us that shoots really well from three, uh, then we lose to a team like that. So
0: uh Golden State home court you referenced it so we won't spend a lot of time on it. Yeah. For a team that's cu- currently out of the playoffs, they're still 14 and 2 yeah. at home. Yep. Uh, so as as worrisome as their away record is, I don't think we get, I didn't at least give the proper respect to to the Golden State home court advantage based on the personnel that were missing from the game and it played a huge part yep. in the game because when you get off to a hot shooting start, your crowd has has the ability to to continue to lead. And I also think connected to the next point, which is to me like one of the worst officiated games I've ever seen. And I'm not I'm not a blame the officials guy at all. Yeah. If anything, I think if you look at the data, things tend to even out more often than not. In the playoffs it's it's harder because it is a smaller sample, but when you go across the regular season, there are gonna be games when you get a lot more calls. There's gonna be games when yeah. they miss calls. I think Ja was, was given not nearly enough uh, benefit of the doubt on his, his driving. I think he should have been at the line a lot more than he was. He only took seven free throw attempts, and I thought that was pretty crazy for, for some of his um, his attacking. That happened. The The whole wrong free throw shooter thing on the on the Jaron call was, to me, inexcusable. Well, I was going to tell you,
1: you asked you were like, hey, Clay didn't shoot that well, but he still had 23 points, so it helps when you get to go to the free throw line when you're not even fouled.
0: <laughs> exactly, and I think that when they even have at a conference about it. I've never I, I don't I wouldn't know what the protocol would be in that situation because they had already given Clay one free throw. Do you just put Wiseman on for one and split the difference, admit the mistake? Or do you double down and just say, Nope, we made the right call, which you obviously didn't, and that's exactly what they did. And so I think Mark Davis is not not my favorite official. Um, I'll hold my tongue on the others as well. But I think that it was it was a very poorly officiated game. The Golden State Warriors had six technical fouls, too. We didn't even have a tech no. called against us, which was surprising given how chippy the game was. So no. I think that the Golden State side probably would agree with us as well uh, on our evaluation of the refereeing. But I just think that it, it took out the rhythm of the game. I thought that too many times we were in a situation that, yeah. especially with, with the Jaron fouling, like yeah. I, I do disagree with one or two that were, that were called. I thought they were soft. Overall just it, it totally affected the rhythm and when you're the team that's trying to come back, you need you need a game full of rhythm yeah. because stoppages completely right. kill momentum that you have yeah. when you're on a roll coming back. And our
1: team and our team is built on pace and uh you know and, and you know, those are the kind of I mean we go back to playoffs, go back to other big games that we've lost. We tend to struggle in games where there's a lot of foul calls and uh, where there's no rhythm to the game. But no, I I agree. I think the the home crowd, I think, was huge. And I just think, as I talked about earlier, I just think that was a game they, the Warriors felt like they really needed. I feel like if I, you know, and shout out to, you know, uh, the Warriors, the Oakland podcast coming on uh, to be with us uh, before the game. And then, you know, other fan podcasts, like that the Warriors were all about this homestand their whole seasons on it. That's all the fans have cared about. Uh, And, and honestly, you know, which is very interesting to me and, and and we might get into this more later, I don't know, but, you know, I'm surprised how much they hate us uh, for a team that seemingly thinks we're frauds and they win all the time and we never win. They are very occupied with us and what we're doing and what we're saying. It's very interesting. But I think that that is, you know, and that's why I think it's a great rivalry. They really care about us, despite what Steph might have said in the past. Like, we obviously... They obviously care about beating us. You could tell. I mean, that was, you know, and one thing comment from kind of the non-fans, casual fans in, in my home were, man, that crowd seems crazy. That They kept talking about the home crowd of the Warriors, and I think that fits into that. And then as far as the reffing, the reffing, uh, you know, again, I never blame reffing for win losses, uh, but I also can say when it's bad. And that was just a bad crew like that. Like I, you know, I've never liked Mark Davis. He's always he's probably the number one. Gobel's a second, but him and Gobel are the, number one for me. Okay, so I'm I'm Mark Davis over Goebel. but those two are the two that I don't want to see uh, in a playoff matchup or a big game regular season uh, for the Grizzlies. Those are the two that I just because it just seems like games are weird when they're the crew chiefs. Um, but it just it just was a lot of weirdness uh with the technical fouls and that's and so I think that's what's so weird to me. Uh the frustrating part for me is like I think it's weird that Poole got thrown out for what he did. Um but then you know but then Draymond Green did the exact same thing multiple times. In fact, yelled at the ref, swung his arms with one technical and never got a second technical and, and so for me it's just I think the NBA uh, needs to figure out how they're going to officiate. And it just means maybe that, like, Luca and Draymond Green, and maybe even Jaw and Dylan, uh need to get thrown out early. But, like, at least – but what's hard is when you see Ja getting thrown out of games for talking to fans, and then you see Draymond basically throw a fist, curse at a ref in their face, and not get thrown out because it's the second quarter and they already have a technical. It's just a rough – look so but 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 more than that just it just seemed like it was out of control they didn't know they couldn't they did not the refs didn't know what to do with the intensity of the game it seemed just uh that they just weren't ready for it and they just seemed out of their element so a lot of mistakes i mean when when the announcers are just repeatedly talking about how bad the refereeing is that's very rare honestly so it was just that was that was a disappointing part of of having the premier christmas game be reffed by those guys
0: yeah, the the broadcast, the these networks and the league have a partnership, and they don't want to be completely bashing the product of the other. And there's just a lot of money at stake, and so it is incredibly important to note how how it was inescapable. They the the broadcasters could not help but comment on the the the. Uh, all the bad calls and you look at replays and you'd hear Jeff Van Gundy, even Mike Breen, who's the most objective. It's just like, yeah, I don't know about that one. there." just trying to gloss past it without, and, and basically treating each one individually without giving just the, the label of, of this is a game that is, um, has been completely called, uh, maybe not completely incorrectly, but just overall is, has, has that, uh, stink to it, if you will. Um, Speaking of officiating, Jaron Jackson only played twenty minutes. He had five fouls in the game. Notable, he did not he did not foul out of this game, John. And I think <laughs> there's a there's a point a point here, um, both for Jaron and the way that he played, and then also how Jenkins is using Jaron. Because the first is Jaron just can't you can't afford to make the dumb mistakes that he made in terms of fouling. Do I agree on every single foul call? No. I think, though, that he does have a reputation, and even though he is becoming one of the preeminent defensive players in this league, he is still not yet getting the benefit of the doubt on whistles, and you have to know that going in. I pulled up last year's playoffs. Jaron played, on average, over 30 minutes a game in the six-game series against Golden State, and he played incredible game one 33 and 10 game four and five 21 and five 21 and eight he had two blocks in one game five blocks in another four in game six he was he was essential to the grizzlies success in that playoff series and so it wasn't as if he was in a tough place matchup wise if anything we had the mismatch and he completely took himself out of the game, especially in the second half. I just thought that coming in and playing like 10 seconds and getting your fourth foul and then your fifth foul, two separate instances, just hurt us very badly um, in a game that we needed, Jaron, both his shooting but also his defense, and he could have affected the game a lot more than he did. And then the second point is to to the way that Jenkins has treated fouling, I tend to fall on the side of your – you're saving Jaron for the end of the game when the game might be done by that point. Why not go ahead, let him play through the mistakes? Because if he's gonna he's gonna come in and only gonna know how to play when he's trying to stay away from from another foul, you have to teach him how to play in the game and not worry about the fouls. And you have to to me, you have to coach him to to mentally get through it. Because at this point We've seen him so far this season have a pretty, pretty good foul rates per game. I mean, he's he hasn't played a full season, but at least so far, it's it's been it hasn't been bad. It hasn't affected more than I would say three or four games thus far. He
1: has not fouled out yet this year, has he?
0: Right. Yeah. I don't think he has. No. But I also think that that isn't necessarily a stat that we can take right um, to to indicate all that we're trying to indicate at the same yeah. time. I don't know. I don't know what you do. I think that you have to play him a bit more. He he himself has to change some things. I think that Jenkins has to to make adjustments as well. though to, to just give him more minutes because you're not going to win without him. Yeah,
1: I mean, I think with, with Jaron. So one is, I think, th- unfortunately, and this is part of the deal when we th- going back to the Christmas game conversation. So like all the podcasters, all the people, like so many people who give out defensive player of the year awards. Uh, some of the national podcasts that we love listening to, and uh, you know the the NBA shows and stuff. This is what they're going to say, and so it doesn't matter that every year Jaren's gotten better about not being in foul trouble. But when they see big games, they've seen that Jaren gets in foul trouble, and so that's sort of the narrative that he's in. And and part of that is when we play smart teams like the Warriors that have players like Clay and Draymond, especially. I mean, Draymond's goal in that first half was, I'm going to get Jaron in foul trouble. I'm going to figure out through screen setting, through all those things. And once again, it was Jaron's big issues, which is getting fouls out on the floor, getting offensive fouls. Um, He did get one, you know, foul actually contesting a shot. But that's typically, for me, it is... To me, Jaron's maturation is only picking up fouls when he's contesting shots. And when, when he is in foul trouble being okay with letting the team score uh, and not contesting. And I think that's one of his biggest, because that was something that happened in this game where he could have let a shot go and he contested. He let the, and, you know, personally, one of them, I think, shouldn't have been a foul call, but it was. And, and, uh, you know, even the offensive foul call was a little weak, but I think that, that he just has got to mature there. And, you know, and I think that's one of the big, uh, and I don't even know if we'll get to Dylan, but, you know, to me, one of the big instances is earlier in the year we talked about when our big three, when only one of the big three play, we really struggle. You know, and so when it was just Jaw and Jaron and Bane were out, we, we struggled to win. Well, guess what? You know, when Dylan and Jaron are out the whole game and when Bane can't shoot anything, can't make anything and can't really defend well because he's just having a bad game, he's rusty. Well, that was like, you know, that is a large part of the game. Uh, that we really needed Jaron in this game, and he actually, you know, he's five of seven. Like he actually played well when he got to play, and uh, and it's just sad that he, you know, was basically taken out, especially in the third quarter, uh, you know. And I, and I think, and I'm I think Jenkins needs to start letting him foul out in the third or fourth. Uh, you know, I think there's one thing if you're up, but when you're down, you got to do it. And and kind of I know I've spoken a while. The last thing is just I think that. Um, we have a good next man up mentality. I actually think it it behooves all you know Aldama or Zaire or whoever we would put in or Brandon Clark, to just know like I've got to do this. It's not about me just kind of covering for Jaron. No, Jaron is now out of the game. It is up to me. I actually think Clark performed really well in the T Wolves series when that was the case, and and so I actually think Jenkins needs to uh. I think both just to teach Jaron, but just, I think he needs to let Jaron play more, especially in the third quarter when we were struggling. Uh, and and I can actually, uh, whenever you want to, I'll talk about this third quarter time that I thought was a big issue for us with lineups. Go for it. Okay. So one of the big things for me, and this, I think talks to, speaks to Jaron and Dylan and just kind of the lineups uh, that we hope to have, but basically uh, we cut it uh, because of, uh, you know, Stephen Adams, they hacked Adams. He made some free throws. We, it was a very weird sequence, but basically it led to us cutting the lead to three. It was 80 to 77, and the Golden State Warriors take a timeout, and I, of course, killed us <laughs> by texting you and a bunch of other threads, let's go, uh, which was not good on my part because I'm never going to do that again. Uh, and so there was 444 left in the third quarter. This was a third quarter we got killed in, by the way. Uh, but we had cut the lead to three with four minutes and 44 seconds left. And Ty Jerome and Kaminga enter the game. Uh, and and then uh, and Steven Adams is taken out of the game. And Jerome and Kaminga end up scoring nine straight points. Those two, uh, especially Ty Jerome with shot clock running out. And our four possessions, when they scored nine points, our four possessions were all four missed three pointers. Jaw twice, pretty early in the shot clock. A Conchar one that was wide open, and a Zaire one that was pretty wide open. So we went zero for four uh, with our role play. You know, with our role players and Jaw, they had Tijerme and Kaminga scoring nine points for them. Then Poole hit a mid-range jumper. It's now ninety-one seventy-seven, and basically at that point, you felt like the game was over. And this is when Jenkins put Jaron back in the game. So we basically played about a minute and a half to two minutes with no Steve Adams, no Jaron, with kind of uh, and Jaron enters and we're now back. We were we were down three. Now we're down fourteen. Jaron enters, but then it's too late. And of course, he then immediately (laughs) picks up his fifth foul. Weirdly, on that Wiseman jersey grab where they gave Clay Thompson the free throws. Uh, and then, so then he's back out, and we can't put Adams back in because he's been playing the whole quarter. And so then they have quickly six more points from Moody Kaminga uh, and then K- Clay Thompson's two free throws that should have been Wiseman's. Uh, we have more, almost every shot the rest of that quarter are threes missed threes by Jaw or by Zaire. Uh, Jaw turned it over as well. We have one Clark bucket in the paint in that whole sequence. And so then it is 97 to 79. So we went from 80 to 77 to 97, 79 in like a two-minute, two-and-a-half-minute span. Finally, Zaire made a three to make it 99-82. But then Ty Jerome hits another shot. So they end up 99-82 on a 19-5 to run in the last three-and-a-half minutes of that fourth quarter. And our lineup was Jaw, Conchar, Zaire, Clark, Aldama. And it got destroyed. And then we had Jaren in for Aldama for just a little bit. And then Jaren was out quickly. And then we put Tyus in for Jaren. And so then we had a Jaw, Tyus, Conchar, Zaire, Clark lineup. And like I said, it got killed. And that, to me, that was the game right there. Like that, you know, for all that we think about the whole game, it was 80 to 77. We were right there, and then we played this weird lineup for four minutes. And and this was because, a lot of it because Jaron was in foul trouble. It was because Bain is on a minutes restriction. It was because Dylan um, was also in foul trouble, so he wasn't in there. But it was a four minutes of a jaw-plus bench lineup uh, that just it just got destroyed.
0: Yeah, to your point, one of the one of the things I had listed was the Warriors bench versus the Grizzlies bench because going in, I expected that to be the advantage in the game. The Grizzlies bench was outscored forty-two to thirty-four. For context, Golden State has the worst bench in the league—a negative four-point-nine net rating like, so far, really bad. and that has been—it's—it's it's almost historically bad, especially for a team like Golden State who in the past has been able to really kill teams throughout the, the run, relying on veterans. And, of course, we have now this new-look Golden State bench with a bunch of young guys. Ty Jerome on a two-way came in, like you said, 6 of 9 from the field, 14 points. Moses Moody, 10 points. Anthony Lamb hit three really important threes in Kaminga. Seven points. Wiseman was even in there for eight minutes. He didn't, he was plus eight in his minutes, but he didn't score, had five rebounds. And overall, I just thought that third quarter stretch, like you were saying, was the difference. Getting it within three, and then you blink, and the score is back up to double digits, was just crushing.
1: And and that's where, and so again, I know people get mad because, like, some people enjoy kind of the morning. And uh, the being upset for a while about this this crushing loss, but what I look at is I look at a four minutes of an NBA game where everything went wrong for us. We had our two best defensive players in foul trouble. We had our best shooter who's still not back completely from injury, and it led to some weird janky lineups. And they and normally with the Warriors you can survive that, but they had Ty Jerome who by the way. Last time I saw him in person was him starting for the Thunder that we beat for an NBA record like seventy three points last year. Uh, you know, he is a two way player and he just played great for them. And and so did Kaminga. Kaminga played the best I've ever seen him play against us. And and, you know, all to them. They're role players, they were at home, they played well. Our role players did not play well. Um, but and that's why I think Today, I'm not as upset as I was last night at the end of the game. And that's why, you know, people texting me, I told you the Warriors were better. How could you say the, you know, I'm like, because they're not. The Warriors are under 500. The Warriors are not in the playoffs. Uh, The Warriors, you know, are a bad team. And they're even worse without Steph Curry. Steph Curry is keeping them at a mediocre team. I expect that. I think we lost to a... Mediocre team playing really well at home That had all the emotional edge In that game and that we Had kind of a perfect storm circumstances And I think honestly Jenkins With his weird Tyus jaw love And his uh, weird uh, Not wanting to play players With foul trouble when we're down in the game You know I, I just think a lot of stuff happened In this game that is unique to the Game and not big picture And maybe we can talk about some big picture Stuff but at least those four minutes made me Feel better about the loss
0: yeah, no doubt. Uh, two more things I had written down. Number one was role players missing shots. Desmond Bain, Dylan Brooks, John Conchar, Zaire, Williams, 2 of 20 from 3, 7 of 36 from the floor overall. That's not going to happen every game. I will say I'm a, obviously a huge John Conchar fan. The last three games, he's played 54 minutes. He's over 8 with one point in all three games combined. And last night, we needed him in open shot situations when Jaws driving and finding him either in the corner or on the wing for open threes. Those are the ones that he needs to hit in high leverage situations. And I thought that he was at this point going to be in our rotation to stay, even in a playoff situation. Now, to me, I am less enthusiastic about that take and I'm more on the side of, you know, he needs to be the ninth or the 10th, which I think is the proper place. I mean, he's going to win you. You know, he's going to play winning basketball for most of the time. Like, his plus-minus, even in those he Yeah, he, was, a gr- he was our best
1: plus-minus player in the Phoenix Suns game, even though, like exactly you said, he didn't hit a 3.
0: So, he's still going to do the little things that make him great uh, as a role player, but there's still more that needs to be done for Kajan Kanchar, and he's going to have plenty of time on this team to work through it and you can't judge it by one game but it is frustrating when it's in combination with every other wing player not being able to hit a shot because that's what jaw yeah. needed steven adams i thought played a great game yeah overall and we were winning uh in terms of on off like he he was our top player in that metric and we needed we needed our wings to hit shots and they didn't hit shots. Right.
1: And that's another, you know, and, and another s- small critique is that I do think that Jenkins, we talked about Jaw sometimes getting three happy when we're down. I think Jenkins gets nervous about keeping Adams in when uh when the Warriors are hitting threes or when teams are hitting threes on us and and I actually think we really lose a lot offensively. With Adams out of the game And so we just We got to figure that out I mean I'm hoping to get A lot of Clark Jaron Forward lineups in the future To kind of see But but that is something I think to keep uh, Keep an eye on But, I, but I, t- I totally agree with you I think that's You know Conchar's Got to start making some shots I think he's been playing well And I think we all go through Again Every player goes through Some rough stretches If this is just a rough stretch That's fine But I, I will say that This was a playoff-like Intense game And it kind of reminded me of a little bit of his games, the, the few minutes he got in the playoffs last year was the moment was maybe a little too big for him. And so hopefully that's not the case. Um, but we do have, we do have a, uh, a veteran player who's won some championships who might be coming back, uh, you know, potentially around the all-star break, uh, and, uh, to, to potentially fill that role if needed. But you know, that's, that's, that's a conversation for another time.
0: Yep, last point I'll make. We got out-rebounded 51-44. to We are the number one rebounding team in the NBA. And I did the math. I went through all the games. 25 out of our 32 games thus far, the rebounding margin has correlated with a win or a loss. So when we out-rebound teams or when we get out-rebounded, 80% of the time that one stat is connected to whether we won or lost. And then when you look at the 7 out of 32 games where that wasn't the case, you see like a loss to the Jazz by one in Utah. You see the weird loss to the Wolves when we had a million turnovers. We still out-rebounded them but lost. And then the only win that we've gotten this season with uh, getting out-rebounded in terms of margin was against Miami Heat when we had like that crazy bench game when none of our starters were playing and so like very specific games when there were there was some weirdness going on that stat is incredibly important to the Grizzlies success and and it we are the number one offensive rebounding team too and yesterday we were just average in that respect and when we're playing Golden State it's a team that shoots a lot of threes the rebounds go there. you're going to have a ton of long rebounds, and that was right. the case in our playoff series last year, which yeah. was why it was so frustrating that they kept getting those those favorable bounces but it's just something to worth noting when we're looking at yeah. at at uh future games we have to out rebound yeah. teams and it's so correlated to our yeah success. i mean
1: that's the that i mean that's when we don't out rebound a team and we shoot really poorly uh and we don't like turn them over a thousand times that's a game we lose like i mean that's that is we we have to turn people over or out rebound them or just not shoot terribly and when we do a couple of those that those are the games we lose yep uh to review shooting variants uh gold state home court bad
0: officiating warriors bench versus grizzlies bench rebounding jaron jackson's fouls role players missing shots and our Uh, Three point defense. That was that was my Mm -hmm. list, and and then also the we'll add the stretch in the third quarter where weirdness happened, the tide turned, and Ty Jerome brought home the victory for the Golden State, which
1: goes into the bench, which goes into the bench, but it's a little bit also Jaron's foul trouble. I think it's kind of a combo, Jaron foul trouble and bench outplaying us moment.
0: Yep. Well, let's talk a little bit about the other two games that happened this past week, and we will just briefly hit on these. Mm -hmm. Uh, We to me they were a tale of first quarters. I actually think no. uh, the Golden State Warriors game was in a lot of ways as well, even though the margin was only four, but in the uh, in the Denver yeah. loss, we're down 35 to 14 after the first quarter. And from there on struggling to get back. And then in the Phoenix game, we're up 39 to 20 after the first quarter. Yeah. And from there on, we were uh, just playing out ahead. And so I thought that to me, those, those two first quarters were you know, almost all that you needed to watch and to, to speak a little bit more, though, on Denver, I thought Jokic just was a master. He doesn't have to score to affect the game at an MVP level. And playing in Denver is also just very difficult. Mm-hmm. And um, it's one of those games that you hope to win, but at the same time, you go in thinking, for instance, in our 10-game prediction, that was one that I had marked down as an wow. expected L. And so, what do you think about the Denver yeah. game overall?
1: So, I, I expected the L, too. Just because we always seem to lose at least one in Denver. Uh, for me, uh, for one, I think the positive. Because I, I don't want to take anything away from Jokic. Who I think right now is the MVP of the league. Who's amazing. Uh, we still held them to 105. Uh, so, like, despite him doing his thing. and have And seeming like the best player on the floor. That... If we have a normal offensive game, we should we should have won that game. And so I went away, you know, I went away with that positive that, um, you know, that that once again, it seemed like a, a game where, Jaron and Dylan got into foul trouble. I mean, in some ways, this had a lot of the look of the Golden State game. The Golden State game is frustrating because we're just a better talented team when they don't have Steph Curry. I think we're a better talented team with Steph Curry. I feel like, to me, uh, the Jokic played great, but what's frustrating is just scoring 91 points. Like, we just cannot – I mean, we were top 10 in the offense last time we spoke that uh, this game, I think, is one of the reasons why we fall into 11th uh, is just how bad offensively we were, and and like you said, I, I do think that maybe this is youth, maybe this really does, uh, you know, affect who we're playing and our mentality, but our first quarters really determine how the games go. Like we come in, and maybe I referred to it earlier, we come in and punch teams in the mouth or we come in and let teams kind of hang with us and that seems like and then that we'll turn it on and I just don't think we're not we're not the grit and grind grizzlies who can kind of do whatever and then just super turn on the defense in the third quarter and kind of pull out an 8 point victory that that's not really us but if you look at since thanksgiving honestly you know we're 10 and 4 and the and we've beaten some good teams in there but the four losses that we've had they were all on the road they were all to a team missing a major player that Dylan probably would have guarded at some point, and all four losses we shot terribly. All four, lo- you know, three of the four losses, as you were talking about, we got out, we got out rebounded or didn't rebound in a major way. Um, the all four losses, the other team had roll guys that went crazy from three, and so I say all that. I think the excitement is. And so the positive, even in the Denver loss is when we play well, I think we're one of the best teams in the NBA. Like, I think that the reason why jaw to take, bring it all back around can say the West doesn't scare me is because I think he thinks if we play our best, we're the best team in the West, you know, and that to him, the Celtics make him nervous because if the Celtics play their best, they don't know. We don't, that he doesn't know if we can beat the Celtics at their best, but he thinks that our best, we can beat every other team. And, and so I think that, you know, I'm, I'm going big picture. It's just about Denver, but I really think that sort of the Denver kind of has a lot of similarities to this golden state loss. Um, and, you know, and, and just that, that all those problems that you talked about. And I also just think, uh, you know, more Zaire Rust, Bane Rust. I'm hoping that they will get as well. Obviously, um, you know, Bane didn't play in the Denver game, but
0: yeah, totally. I, I also worth noting that Jaw played 38 minutes in that game, which is in his top three of minutes played, and then he played 41 which is his top minutes played against the Warriors yeah. and so in the last week we've seen a ton of John Morant and it's because we've been in those two games in particular he's the only offense that we had going yeah. and we absolutely needed him and Jenkins was making the decision there to, to keep him in uh, for a longer stretch than yeah. he normally plays he's averaging about 32 a game so far this season uh, two notes that I want to make here there's a conspiracy I have going on And it has to do with the network that the Grizzlies play on in national TV games. So far this season, when the Grizzlies are on TNT, they are 0-2. We have two TNT games left. One against the Suns at home and one against the Cavs in Cleveland. Notably, the two games that we've lost on TNT were also away. So three out of the four away games on national TV on TNT. 0-2 so far. ESPN. We're going to have nine total on ESPN this year. We're 4 and 0 so far when yeah. we play on ESPN. Note that last night's technically was ABC. So yes. we're not counting that as that, ESPN. Yeah. Only two out of the nine, or excuse me, they're, yes, only two out of the nine are in Memphis. The yeah. rest are away. So when you do the math, four. Out of the 13 nationally televised yeah. games on ESPN and TNT are in Memphis. And so we're 4 0 on ESPN. Luckily, we have most of our national TV games on ESPN after this. However, they're all away against the Lakers, Warriors, Nuggets, Clippers, and Mavericks. Nice.
1: Super interesting. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's You know, it's funny. I feel like even if you look at the playoffs, I feel like we struggle on TNT and ABC. Uh, but that we did really well on ESPN. <laughs> so, so it feels like that's continuing this year for sure. Yep. Just something to watch. Okay. Yep. Let's briefly
0: hit on MVP of the week. Who was yours?
1: Uh, I think you have to go with Jaw. Um, almost symbolic just because his shoes were announced. So like the outside, he, he dominated NBA, uh, Twitter, and narrative for a week. So like outside of just the games, Jaw had a week. Uh, let's put it that way but I think when you look I think he was by far the bright spot in the Denver game he was by far the bright spot in the Golden State Warriors game and while he didn't like put up a ton of points he had a great plus minus in the Phoenix game you know double digits assists um, in two of the three games um, I think Jaw's the MVP
0: this is the most clear week to me so far this season it was John Morant all the way on and off the floor no question about it John Morant this week's MVP Okay, let's get into the games this week, and we'll briefly hit on these as well. We have a game against Phoenix, Tuesday night, in FedEx Forum. I will be in attendance. Are you going to this game?
1: Uh, I don't think I am. It's to be determined. Got it. Thursday at Toronto,
0: Saturday at home against the New Orleans Pelicans. I will be at that one. Perfect. Perfect. (laughs) That is the New Year's Eve game, and we're going to be monitoring that very closely. And then we have to turn around and play again. On Sunday night at home yes. against the Sacramento Kings, the ultimate trap game. Uh, yes, well, and
1: and 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 a game. I wonder if uh, if everybody's going to be playing in. I, I hope so because I think these are important games. But I do like. I almost am assuming that Bain is not going to play that in that Kings game, um, and I don't know if we'll rest other people as well since it's a back to back. But I did have a guess who for you as yep. well. Let's so, do. It. Uh, and you had actually talked about Jaw having the most minutes per game this year, uh, in that Phoenix, in that uh, Denver game. So I was going to ask you, who has officially? And it's official because there's a couple guys who've played, uh, who haven't had enough games. But who's officially played the most minutes per game this year?
0: Ooh, this is interesting. Um, trying to think through all the teams. I'm looking at Phoenix. Um, I don't know. Okay, I'm I'm probably going to err on the side of guessing Toronto because they always play their starters just crazy amount of minutes here. And now it's just a matter of the new Tom Thibodeau. Yes, it's just a matter of who I'm going to choose now. Thinking through, okay, I know that Fred Van Fleet has just I know he plays a ton of minutes, so he's going to be my guess.
1: That is correct. That is correct. Oh, it is Fred finally. Van Vliet. And in fact, um, if so if you didn't take away the the per game, you know, restriction, like you know how Jaron would be leading blocks per game, but he hasn't played enough games yet. So Fred Van Vliet would be second if you did that. But he's first in the game. And he's almost he's barely behind James Harden, who has not played very many games, but when he does, he plays a lot. Um, but a, crazily mm-hmm. enough, Fred Van Vliet's uh first Og Ananobi is third, and then Siakam would be fifth, but he hasn't played enough games. He's like Harden. So they have three of the top five players uh, do the Raptors um, in their starting five, and I just found that interesting because I think that is, uh, you know, we 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 played the Knicks twice, and they have a similar kind of playing a lot of guys, but they've been playing more younger guys. Uh, but that's going to be, an, and I think that is an interesting thing about our matchup with the Raptors is we're going to be seeing. Uh, their starting five play 38 to 40 minutes against us, which is just very very different than the games we're used to.
0: And incredibly different from how the Grizzlies themselves play. I mean, Ja is ja and Bain have been like the highest minutes so far in, in just a normal circumstance, and Dylan's up there too. But we have a very structured bench rotation, and you're going to see Jenkins is known for playing 10 deep, uh, and he is going to stick to that no matter who is on the floor, but Nurse is not the same. But the most interesting part, though, of this season for them is that they're 15-18 and 18 right now. They're 10th in the East. Their their net rating is 14, and so they're super average in that respect on both ends of the floor, which is surprising, too, because they play such a unique style, and all of their, their players are known as individual good defenders, and yet so, sort of as a whole they've been struggling – Scotty Barnes, undergoing sort of a sophomore slump. Notably, he was not on the table in a Kevin Durant trade, which we can debate whether that was the right move or not. I tend to think that it was because he is a second-year player and Durant is in his mid-30s. But at the same time, Toronto is seen as a team to watch in trade talks, and we're going to get a good view up close of the guy that we on this podcast have wanted for a long time, which is OG Ananobi. And um, we can debate the the packages <laughs> that we would send to get yes. him in return. I think it would be a lot higher than most people would yes. think. But going in, this is going to be a really interesting game. We also struggle in Toronto historically. Yes, and um, coming off of hopefully a, a win at home, maybe against the Suns, yeah. which we want. We want maybe spend too much time on since we just saw them last week. But right. coming off of that, it would be – and a game upcoming on Saturday against another familiar Western Conference opponent. This is a – it's a one-game road trip. So yeah. far, our record is not great on one-game road trips yeah. this season. So one so to watch there.
1: The positive, the positive to me about this week is we just got done talking about three, crazy three-point percentages, shot variants, and how we struggle, especially on the road, to contain the three-point line. Um, the good news is we're playing in the Suns, in the Raptors, and the Pelicans. Uh, we are playing three teams that want to that want to get points in the paint. That like, especially the Suns and Raptors, like to hit mid range jumpers, and and so on paper. And again, this you know, in a week we could be decrying the fact that the Raptors shot fifty percent from three like crazy people. But uh, one of the things that I think why we match up well with the Suns. And I think why we match up well with the Raptors, uh, even though we like to lose away in Toronto all the time, is that they they, they feed into our strengths defensively. Uh, they want to get in the paint. They want to hit mid-range jumpers. We're great at defending those things. Um, the Raptors are just really terrible offensively. So that could be, if we're not hitting shots, that Raptors game could be an interesting watch as they pack the paint and we pack the paint. And, uh, but the Raptors is an interesting team, you know, they don't play with the real center. So we're going to have, I mean, with Jaron and Steven at, it's going to just be a crazy, uh, matchup of styles. Um, you know, the other thing, just talk about Suns, Raptors and Pels, um, all dealing with weird injury issues. It looks like Booker is not going to play, uh, for the Suns. He tried to play last night, hurt his groin again. I would be pretty shocked if he plays, so it looks like we're going to not have Booker tomorrow. The Raptors are always dealing with weird, like everybody on their team's questionable all the time. Obviously, uh, the, uh, Zion and Ingram are both listed as out for tonight's game. So who knows if they're going to be back. So we are still and dealing Herb with Jones. The, yeah, and Herb Jones is out too as well. So we're dealing in this weird, and that's the thing that was worrying me is we seem to not bring there, there seems to be a lack of killer instinct with these teams when they're missing some guys. So that's another thing I'm looking for this week. You know, because we got humbled. Like, I think, honestly, the biggest thing that I'm looking for this week is you were just humbled on national TV. You just had a team, like, taunt you in their face, on their home floor, on national TV. Y'all were humbled embarrassed. How are you going to respond coming back home to play the Suns tomorrow night?
0: Yep, 100%. Couldn't have said it better myself. This is a uh, a week to respond. Now, it's worth noting that C.J. McCollum is not listed on the injury report so far, and so he is one that if he's playing, (laughs) I'm always nervous. (laughs) The number one Grizz killer in the league right now, so if he's playing against us, I'm nervous. Yes. Uh, Yes. But part of me just really hopes, and I know it's not, I mean, it doesn't make sense if I'm trying to, ultimately uh, get the best odds for a win but part of me really does want kind of the best guys on both sides to play um yeah. I would love for for Brandon Ingram to to come back in time I would love for uh CJ to stay off the injury report and honestly too I'd love for Zion to to play granted his his is more like day-to-day with just scheduled rest right and so I'm hoping that his will you know they'll they'll pace it out to where he's going to play in Memphis. But overall, this is the game of the week to me. Um, I hope that we get a professional win at home against the Suns, which is kind of crazy to say, but I really think it is in that territory based on how the Suns have been playing. I hope that Toronto is a game that we learn from the Thunder one game road trip and go up there and take care of business, especially with the struggling um, Toronto team. And then also just come back, circle the game uh, on New Year's Eve at home in FedEx forum and Then we have the trap game. Yeah, I'm. I'm very nervous
1: about that Kings. I I think, I think we're gonna have some potentially hungover players and some potentially sitting players. And so that King, that Kings game might be a schedule loss, schedule win for them. We'll see, though. You know, they they beat us at home. They're the one one of only two teams to do that. So there could be a little bit of a pride thing going that we don't want the Kings coming in here and sweeping uh, the home series from us. So
0: we'll see. All right, any final thoughts before we depart, John?
1: Just uh, that this would be okay. Hope that y'all aren't mad that we're not more down in the dumps. I think some people like it's more cathartic to hear people be totally upset. Uh, Know that I was there. I was upset. I'm frustrated too. The podcasts this week are going to be brutal Uh, you know, as far as kind of, you you know, if you, if you want to, if you want to get, if you want to get down deep in the sadness, you can go listen to some warriors podcasts and how gleeful they are, um, you know, in in their 11th place team. But, uh, but anyway, uh, but I think we're good. I think we're, we're still, we're a game out of first. Uh, we're still hitting our stride. And, uh, anyway, I'm looking forward to this week, some good games this week.
0: If you want to email the show, it's grisdenpod at gmail.com. Visit grisden.com for the latest merch. We have some exciting things coming out in January, and we will be in touch about those not only on our podcast, but all of our social media channels. Uh, Shout out to Brantley and Ty for a great podcast this past week to preview the Christmas Day game and we look forward to the whole gang being back together hopefully very soon to talk about the state of the Grizzlies what we've been seeing so far and of course to dive further into the legend that is becoming Ja Morant uh, especially with the latest launch of his shoe so thanks for tuning in remember to subscribe and like the podcast we will be back with you next week weeked in at the earliest, maybe even sooner. We'll see. Thanks for joining us.